name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. So, let's get to work. Let's talk about the challenges that we face at work. Sorry, a false start again. We want to switch up the display so that... Sorry about that. Okay, let's try that again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. We always have to start twice, right? <laughs> Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. So let's talk about the challenges that we face at work. One of the things that is very different about work from home is that work is very heterogeneous. Work is different than home in that people's principles, their values, their what they do and how they think and so on is very different, right? And that's maybe one of the reasons why, you know, they kind of like, uh, you know, uh, ask us to be very considerate towards others in our workplaces in discussing these things because, you know, we're at work for the purpose of doing our work and people who are employing us know that we're very different uh, in many different ways, but we uh, are able to get together and to achieve something that our employer wishes for us to achieve, right? This is presuming a work environment which is not necessarily Christian and a work environment which is very heterogeneous. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus, when he commanded us and when he commanded his apostles and when he sent them out, he told them that. He told them, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. And he knows that. And he knows that out there, there's going to be threats. There's going to be threats to us. There's going to be threats to our person, to our person, to our uh, to our well-being, to our finances, to all of these things. And God knows that none of that was like a secret or, or or something that He had not accounted for. So much so that we find it in Scripture. We find in the wisdom of Sirach, chapter 2, verse 1, it says very clearly, My son, if you come forward to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for temptation. The word temptation here can be substituted for tribulations or trials. Prepare yourself for stuff. Okay? It's not going to be a smooth ride. If I read the rest of, 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 of that chapter to just the beginning of it, uh, verse uh, uh, 1 to 11, says this, My son, if you come forward to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for temptation. Set your heart right and be steadfast, and do not be hasty in the time of trouble. Cleave to him and do not depart, that you may be honored at the end of your life. Accept whatever is brought upon you, and in changes that humble you, be patient. For gold is tested in the fire and acceptable men in the furnace of humiliation. Trust in him and he will help you. Make your way straight. Hope in him. You who fear the Lord, wait for his mercy and turn not aside lest you fall. You who hear the Lord, trust in him and your reward will not fail. You who fear the Lord, hope for good things, for everlasting joy and mercy. Consider the ancient generations and see whoever trusted in the Lord and was put to shame, or whoever persevered in the Lord and was forsaken, 
or whoever called upon him and was overlooked. For the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He forgives sins and saves in time of affliction. Glory be to the Holy Trinity, our God, unto the ages of all ages. Amen. Honestly, these first 11 verses of the Wisdom of Sirach, chapter 2, you can find them online or whatever. At one point, I remember I printed it and I put it on my wall in my little, in my office, you know, and I would look up, I would look up at it. And, every, and where it says, you know, that honest men are, trust, are tested by the furnace of humiliation. I felt that and I knew that and I knew it to be true. And I knew that this was going to be what was going to separate the men from the boys. This is what was going was to reveal whether what kind of character I'm genuinely made of. And we're going to talk a little bit about that kind of stuff now. If we look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah, God commanded him through a variety of different things to rebuild the wall. But he didn't command him the way he commanded Gideon. When God commanded Gideon, he sent an angel and the angel spoke to Gideon and told him, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon kind of looked behind him and he kind of looked around and he was like, mighty man of valor. I'm the youngest in my father's family and my father's family is in the smallest of our clan and our clan is the smallest in the tribe of Benjamin, which is the smallest tribe. So I'm the smallest of the smallest of the smallest of the smallest of the small. Who are you talking to? He says, you mighty man of valor, right? When God, God is, is infinitely creative. Don't ever expect God to repeat the same moves again. You know when you give like a little, a little child a paper and some crayons, they draw something. If you give them another piece of paper, what is the likelihood they're going to draw the same thing again? Highly improbable. Why do you think? I don't know. I've never been able to have an intelligent conversation with a child of that age to find out. But my suspicion is, is they have so much creativity, they wouldn't dare waste this precious piece of paper to do the same thing again. Right? So they draw something different, and they draw something different, and they draw... Because they're infinite, they've got, they've got this, this creativity which is amazing. How much more God? Never expect God to do the same thing that He did with somebody else to do it with you. When He, when he called Nehemiah, He called Nehemiah by sending some people that Nehemiah trusted, and they came and told him, the city is in ruins. Nehemiah was so ashamed. Hmm? Sorry, Buna. No, yeah, but uh, uh, please correct me, Abuna, as we go. Abuna has been a, a priest longer than me, is wiser than me, smarter than me, more learned, knowledgeable than me. Please correct me, Abuna. Um, Nehemiah was so ashamed. The city is in ruins. How long did it take Nehemiah to rebuild the wall? When you have time later on your own, open your Bible to Nehemiah six fifteen and underline it, highlight it in red. You know, I don't know, circle it, put stars around it. 52 days. 52 days, he had built the wall. This isn't the study of Nehemiah, so we're going we're gonna to carry on. But think of all of the different obstacles he faced. 52 days, they had built, rebuilt the wall. None of them were professional contractors. None of them were prof professional builders, right? God is, was with them to prosper them. It says that a couple of times in the first few chapters. So, back to our basics. We're going to look at what Scripture says. We're going to remember how big our God is. And we're going to ask God's Spirit to guide us and to empower us. So, I just really want us to stop here in this moment just to the importance 
the, port, the importance of God's word in my heart, because that will change everything. It'll change my outlook. It'll change how I feel. It'll, it'll give me the power to face all of these things that come up at work, right? Look at what King David says in Psalm 119. He says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold, right? And there's so many other verses like from the Psalms. It drives me crazy. I I promise you, there's a few questions when I get to heaven that I really, really want answered. One of them is, okay, I am not like God. My heart is not like God's. How did King David have a heart like God's? And that's why God chose him. Like my heart becomes like God through my experiences. His heart was just like God's. Right from the get-go. How was it? Or, Or was it? Or maybe I understand wrong. He loves God's commandments. I try to convince myself that God's commandments are in my favor. You see the difference? He loves God's commandments. God says, why don't we do this? David says, what a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? God says to me, why don't we do this? I say, okay, God, but what's in it for me? And, right? and we, I have this bartering with God. Right? I want to be like King David. I want to tell him, your, your words are like honey in my mouth. I want to say these nice things to God and mean them from my heart, right? Remember, Jesus tells, says a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Let me tell you my version of this one verse parable. Man is walking, you know, and he sees the road goes the whole way around this field. He looks and the field is deserted. There's nobody there. Before he crosses through another man's property, he looks left, he looks right to ask for permission. He doesn't find anybody. So he says, take the shortcut, I'll walk through the field. He's walking through the field with his walking stick, and he's walking, and his walking stick hits the ground, and it hits the ground, and hits the ground. And then all of a sudden, as he's walking, his walking stick, it hits something. He says, that's strange. Pokes around with his walking stick. He says, what's that? So he looks down and he sees something shining, reflecting in the sun. So he brushes it aside with his foot. Looks strange. Looks like gold. But what's gold doing here in this abandoned field? He looks down and he looks, he brushes off and he finds a golden chest full of all kinds of treasures. He says, it's impossible. Somebody left this here. The stuff is ancient. Who could have buried this here a long time ago? He looks left. He looks right covers it up and he goes to the village. He says, by the way, who owns that field? They say, oh, this guy owned it, Mashafi, he died, and this and that and so on. Now he said, his children have moved away, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of abandoned. Why you want it? It's not worth anything. You want it? So he investigates a little more and he goes and he sells everything that he has because of that field, right? In this parable, um, of course, it's talking about us selling everything that we have to follow Jesus. St. John Chrysostom interprets this parable about God selling everything that was precious to him, which is his only begotten son, to buy us, right? So it goes both ways. But I think we can also think about it here, about how precious is the word of God to you and to me. Ya Rab, Ya Rab, that one day God's word will be as precious as it was to King David in my heart. And let's see what God's word has to reveal to us about what to do with all of the funny business that goes on at work. The first thing is to know who you work for, right? The first thing is to know who you work for. I'll tell you a little story. 
as I've grown older, I've grown to um, admire my biological father more and more and more and more. I remember once on Father's Day, we got him this little plaque. It was, you know, about maybe like six inches by two or three inches. And it just said God in big gold block letters. And under it in small set is in control. So Father's Day is on Sunday. So my dad, Monday morning, took it with him and he put it. Uh, he was uh, like a C-level executive, you know, and, and so on. So he had a or huge organizational chart behind where he sits, you know, on the wall. So he took it and he hung it at the top of the organizational chart. He was an engineer. He worked for an engineering firm. And they were, at, they were at that time, they were jointly managing a, a massive multi-billion dollar project, uh, these uh, Alcan aluminum smelters and this and that with the client. So the project manager from Alcan was working with the, the, the project manager from the engineering firm to manage this project. So the, so the organizational chart was like two right angle triangles, right? Everybody under my dad and everybody under the Alcan guy like that and them two at the top. Obviously the client tells the consultant what he wants. Obviously the client, you know, is like has the upper hand, but they're supposed to be equal, right? My dad took this God is in control thing and he put it at the top of the chart. The other guy, the Alcan guy, has, shares a, like an office like just, across the, like just across the hall. So he walks in and he says, God's not in control, we're in control. Right? My dad tells him, looks at him square in the face and says to him, you and me to God, we're like a little fly. And when we're doing his will, he lets us fly around. And when we stop doing his will, swats you, right? The guy got so angry and he started shouting and this and that. So my dad took it down and he put it on his desk, right in the front of his desk like that. And he said, like, it's not worth fighting, you know? It's not worth fighting for. But even when my dad made it to the top, he still, he still was saying, God is in control. When I used to go to his office every day, like from school, from university, and we'd go home together. So I saw his little plaque and put, oh, you brought it to work. He goes, oh boy, did I ever, right? And he told me the story, right? And I don't re never respected him as much for that as when I started working. And he really set me up to realize that my boss is God. Of course, Scripture tells us the same. If you open in Colossians chapter 3, you'll find that St. Paul is saying, and whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not to men. Again, St. Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 3, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. If you look in Ephesians chapter 6, Verses 5 through 7 says, Servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. It's crystal clear I am not serving men, I am serving God in my work. My work is as much worship on Monday as being in church and singing all the hymns was on Sunday. I'm worshiping God in the church on Sunday and in the office on Monday and at home we're talking about in the evening and this and that, right? I work for God and He's the one that I answer to which in most circumstances, 
ups the ante this much. I don't need to do what I need to do to get by. I need to do what I need to do to make my real boss proud. I want to make him proud. Like, there's so many verses in Scripture that talk about how God is so proud of you and me. Look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 15 to 17. It says multiple times that God rejoices over you with singing. Like, God is in heaven. So, like, listen to this. God in heaven is singing your name. Like, we think in heaven we're going to sing His name. He's in heaven singing your name. Back in the day when I was still working in the hospital and so on, I get medical students that wanted to be like do what we do, pediatric surgery, right? So they would come and they tell me like on the first, second day of their rotation, they're here for two, three weeks. They'd say, you know, John, I'd like to have a reference letter from you. I tell them this. I tell them, look, I am delighted to write every good thing that I can think of that is honest and true about you. Give me something good to say. I'm not a, I'm not a malicious person. Right? If I don't have anything good to say about you, I'm not going to write a letter that says how horrible you are and smile in your face. I'll just tell you, I don't have anything good to say about you. Right? But let's not, I don't want, that's going to be a very hard conversation for us to have in two weeks. So please give me something good to say about you. Come early, work hard, be one step ahead of me all the time, be helpful, be useful. Right? God, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure that we learn this from God. Right? God wants to praise us. Let's give him something. Let's give him something that he can honestly praise us for. So let's do what's right because it's right. I absolutely love this poem or prayer by Mother Teresa. I'll read it. I'll read it with you. It says, People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you'll win some unfaithful friends and win some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find sincere serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good that you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. And the best, you give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. You see, because in the final analysis, it's between you and God and it was never between you and them anyway. So let's just trust Him. Let's just trust Him. Let's just trust our boss that He's going to be honest. And that at the end of these two weeks, he's going to give us our paycheck. And that he's going to give us our vacation. And our real boss. Let's trust our real boss. We trust our earthly boss. Like, why do you go to work? Because you know you're going to get paid. Right? And never once cross your mind that, you know what? Your, your boss can hold out on you. You're not going to, you're going to look in your bank account. No direct deposit. You're going to look in your little mail slot at work or however it works. No little pay stub. What? Where's my, oh, sorry. We're not going to pay you this week. What, what, what do you mean you're not going to pay me? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We're going to defer your payment. Uh, None of us would go to work if we thought that like, you know, 50-50 chance I'm going to get paid. Right? It doesn't work that way. We trust our earthly boss. 
who doesn't have our best interest in mind. He has the best interest of the company or the project or the whatever, right? Obviously, right? He's not looking out for me. He's looking out for who he works for, right? He's looking out for the stakeholders. He's looking out for the investors. He's looking out for whoever, right? We trust him. Let's trust God. Let's trust him. Let's trust him as a better boss, right? This uh, painting that's on the left here is called, the title of the painting is Peace. If you look carefully um, towards the bottom center of the painting, right there, you see there's a little white dot there. You can't see it very clearly, but it's, it's blown up on, on, on the left, and it's a little bird in the cleft of the rock. And she's just sitting there. And there's this massive storm and lightning and ragged rocks and water gushing from every angle. And the bird is at peace. Why? Because she's in the rock. Let me and you, let me and you also have peace. Let us do the advice God gave Moses, right? Or Moses gave the people of Israel. Let us hold our peace. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. You know the next verse, I was reading it, and it says, For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more again forever. And I was like, Ida, you shall see no more again forever. Like, you know, I don't like it when people over-exaggerate. Like, you can exaggerate a little bit, and we all know that you're exaggerating. But when you, like, go overboard, doesn't make any sense. So I was sitting there and talking to God, of course, telling Him, like, like this is too much exaggeration. You shall see them no more again forever. Like, you know, like, and then when I stopped to pause and think, I was like, wait a minute. May they drowned. And his word was true. His word is true. His word is true. Let us, let us do our best. Let us do our best to believe in him. So what, Abuna, what are you saying now? Do I stand up for myself or not? Right? And just be a doormat. Right? Take one from this side and take one from that side. And right? You know? What's going on? Right? That's never going to work. Right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, right? Stand up at work. I'm talking about at work now. I'm not talking about in marriage. I'm talking about at work. Stand up for the truth. Don't stand up for yourself. Stand up for the truth. Don't stand up for yourself. And when you commit to doing this and you ask God to help you, trust me, you're going to get a few slaps in the face for sure. The things that are personal, if you think about it, when you are personally attacked, when you respond, you're immediately defensive. Or at least you're perceived that way. Immediately you're perceived that way. It's actually in your and in, in my best interest to accept personal attacks in silence. And I'm not speaking to you from theory. Unfortunately, I'm speaking to you from experience. And the last place I worked before being a priest was extremely malicious and uh, had a lot of difficulty just in our own little department. We had a, there was a lot of problems and so on. And as my last few months there, I was on a search committee for a new department head and all this stuff, right? Because there was so much badness going on, right? 
but we would get these uh, visiting uh, visiting surgeons who would be coming to uh, you know just come for a month and see what we do and this and that. And I remember one of them. No one would ever like pay any attention to them. No one would learn their names. They were like a fly on the wall, you know, like in, nobody paid attention to them. So I would try to welcome them and so on. I was a stranger and he took me in. Like that's what Jesus commands us to do within the measure of my ability. So there was this one guy from Chile, and um, Rodrigo. Rodrigo Contreras. So Rodrigo and I are sitting and having coffee one day after I got like wiped the floor with me. And it was just entirely a personal attack. Completely a personal attack. There was no, there was nothing that I could argue back because there was nothing, it was all just, you know, you're incompetent, you're this, you're that, you're that. And it's publicly. I was, I was really upset. And no one in my life has ever spoken to me that way, so I just had no idea what to say. That's why I was silent. I'm not telling you because I'm a good person. I was silent because I was speechless, right? So he was telling me, look, you have to stand up for yourself because silence is an admission of fault, right? When you, when you don't answer and somebody accuses you of something, then you're at fault. I said, yeah, but Rodrigo, I wasn't accused of anything substantial. Like, if I was accused of not caring for this patient or being negligent of this or making this mistake or causing this complication, I could have... We could have had a conversation, but there was, it was completely insubstantial. I, had, I, I don't know what to say. He goes, look, man, you ha- you're, you're one of the... There was the first time anyone had ever said this to me. He said to me, you're one of the best surgeons I've ever seen before. Specifically, he said, like, in this operation, this, this, and this, and that. You're extremely competent. You have to stand up for yourself. And I took what he said, and I prayed about it. And I realized that with all due respect and all of his encouragement, that he was wrong, right? Because when you stand up for the truth... It shows that you believe in the cause. It shows that you believe in what you do. It shows that you have integrity in your work. It shows that you're honest. It shows that you believe more in the work and you're committed more to the work than you are to your own honor or your own appearance before people. Right? In no ways are you defensive. Jesus' advice to us is good advice. It's just plain, downright good advice. Somebody slaps you in the face, just turn the others, right? People honor and respect a person of integrity who shows, demonstrates by their actions that they're not selfish. Then Jesus commands us to go the second mile. Pardon the typo. The first mile is always a mile of obligation. The first mile is always painful. Do you know what, do you know the context of this go the second mile business? Do you know what Jesus Jesus was talking about something very specific that was really a sore point for the Jewish people. So they had this law at that time that a Roman soldier could oblige any non-Roman citizen to walk with him one mile carrying his belongings. So you are a good old Jewish farmer doing your thing, working in your field, trying to get everything done before sundown, before it gets dark. Here comes Mr. Fur'alos, jack-in-the-box, popped out of nowhere, Roman soldier, right, who's occupying your territory, taking taxes from you, this and this and that. Taps you on the shoulder. Let's go. You have to carry his stuff and walk one mile. Now, you're not going to, how many miles are you going to walk? One mile? No, you're going to walk two because you're going to walk one mile there and you're going to walk one mile back. 
right? And you're going to walk one mile there carrying his junk. They really hated this law. It was like the, it was the, the ultimate indiscrimination. It was ultimate discrimination. In their own land. Right? They hated it. This, this one law. Jesus says, He obliges you to walk one mile with Him. Walk two. Has this ever happened to you? It's 4.55, packed up your laptop, you're about to walk out of the office. It's 11.55, you're going to meet your friend for lunch, you're just, you're one foot out of the office, right? And your boss was like, you know, isn't it really interesting that the client said da 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 and you're like, yeah, it's very interesting, it's very interesting, yeah, it's very interesting, you know, it's my train, right? And, uh, right? And then he goes on and on and on. and we, You know, we should really prepare a presentation for them. Like, presentation, eat, fill it. Like, let me out of here. Right? Huh? It was a Friday. It was a Friday, yeah, right? You know, right? I meet a lot of our young people, people who work downtown. I meet, I meet them all, like a lot of the time for lunch because it works well for them, right? Half, our conver- half of our meetings get postponed due to... Sorry, got stopped in the hallway by my boss, dot, dot, dot. I know what that means, right? Now, here you have like, you have one of two choices. You got to do this, this dumb presentation for the, this dumb idea presentation for the client. You're going to have to do it, right? So you have two choices. One, you can just do it and just to get it over with, right? And you're going to, you're missing your train. You're missing your lunch appointment. You're missing it, right? Like you're missing it. You're missing it, right? It's done, right? So you have two options. One, you can just you can spend 45 minutes doing it, hating yourself, hating your boss, and hating your life, and get it done. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to do this to the best that I can. And you realize that you're probably going to be here, instead of being here until 5.45, you're probably going to be here till 7.30, you, go, you know, and whatever, right? We've all been there, and I'm sure you've all chosen at some point in your life the 7.30 option, where you decide, you know what, I'm not just going to do this. I'm going to knock their socks off, right? How did you feel? Yeah, you feel good. Why? Because you took the obligation, right? And you one-upped it. What are we doing when we walk the second mile for, you know, Jewish peasants in Jesus' time? What we're doing is we're saying Caesar has a law that if some... You know, you know, dumb Roman soldier taps me on the shoulder. I have to walk with him one mile. But Caesar isn't my king. Jesus is my king. And Jesus tells me, walk with him too. In fact, walk four miles is good for you. And what you didn't get done today, God will take care of it. God will take care of it. Didn't, he, didn't God command you to walk the second mile? God will take care of it. Caesar isn't my king. Because I'm following the law. I am following a commandment. Whose commandment? Jesus' commandment. Caesar is not my king anymore. Jesus is my king. That's what the second mile is, the mile of grace. What Jesus is trying to tell us is be gracious. Does that Roman soldier deserve the second mile? No, he doesn't. Give him more than he deserves. Give him your best. Give your best. But he doesn't deserve it. Those if he doesn't deserve it. Give him your best. Give him your best. Do your best. Why? 
Because then you no longer work for your boss who stopped you at 4.55 on a Friday afternoon. You work for Jesus. You work for the king. Does God know this guy's going to come at 4.55 on a Friday afternoon? He does. Does God know that you promised your kids you're going to be home and you're going to take them to church and you're going to this? He knows. Does God know these things? He knows. So if God allowed this, then he's also accounted for that. Just trust him. Just trust him. Be gracious is what Jesus is trying to tell us when he talks about the second mile. And that will begin to change your culture at work. I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth, my mission, my mission when I became like the most senior part, like person at my level in my department at work was to change the culture. I couldn't change the, 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 the old surgeons, but I could change the younger ones and I could change all of the people who worked for me, the senior residents and junior residents and medical students and the nurses and... And by God's grace, the culture changed. It changed to a gracious place. It changed to a, I'm done my work, how can I help you? We'd all get out of here at 3.30 if we just, you know? It changed to that kind of culture. In a few months. In a few months. Right? If we simply just take Jesus' words and apply them. Love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Right? It's easy. None of this, none of this is difficult and all of it applies as much at work as it does at home and as it does everywhere else. And if you do that, if you do that, then you're spreading the gospel. You may not pull out your Bible and start a lunchtime Bible study at work. If it's good and it's, it's appropriate and so on, do that. I know lots of people who have done that and they were shocked. They were absolutely astounded at how many other Christians they work with. They completely did not expect that they worked with that many other people who were devout Christians. St. John Chrysostom says, Do not say then, I am hated, and that is why I do not love. For this is why you ought to love the most. The people who hate us the most are the people whom we should try our hardest to love the most. St. John Chrysostom also says, Nothing is colder than a Christian who does not care about the salvation of others. In so doing, you are spreading the gospel. Because you're living it. People are, are forced to see the gospel when they see you. They're, they're, they're forced to encounter the gospel when they encounter you, right? And most of all, most of all, believe, believe that God is faithful. Believe that God is faithful. He will not let you be ashamed. In Isaiah chapter 54, it says, Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, nor uh, for you will not be put to shame, for you will not be put to shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. The word not ashamed, not be put to shame is mentioned three times in the same verse. In Isaiah 45, 17, the same thing. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. Isaiah 61, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Honestly, I would print these verses up as on the days that I would get spat at in the face. I would print these verses up and I'd put them up in my office. Right? 
and I had like uh, like eight to fifteen people that report to me, like multiple multiple times a day. So there's people walking in and out, in and out of my office all day long. They see these things, right? And they say, oh, John, I'm so sorry about what happened this morning. That was so rude and whatever. And I just I would just point. I'm like, my job is to take care of these patients. My job is to take care of these medical students, these residents. These. My job is to make sure you're learning. Make sure the the, the, make sure the patients are getting better, make sure the nurses are well, that's my job. My honor, that's, that's somebody else's job. And God is faithful, and God is faithful. And He was faithful with me, and I promise He'll be faithful with you. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.